we go. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm Paige. I'm an alcoholic. And oh, you guys, I'm so grateful to be here with you today. And and uh, I think I think to set the tone for this foundation meeting, let's pop over to page seven in our books, if you don't mind. If you have your book to hand, if not, don't you worry, I'll read it. We're going to bounce around a little and, and I'll be I'll be doing the reading. Well, it says page seven and uh, where we're at, it's the uh, second or first full paragraph. And the line I'm going to jump out at is for three or four months, the goose hung high. And so that saying, the goose hung high, it was this old idiom, this old expression where they believed that, you know, if the geese are flying high in the sky, well, there's no evil spirits. It's a good omen. And if the geese are flying low to the ground, it is a bad omen, right? And so what I'm trying to say is, I might be running this ship a little loosey-goosey. So that's how we're gonna be doing this foundation meeting. And uh, which uh, hopefully that'll set the tone. And if you're like, oh dear, oh no, who invited Paige? It's Ryan. It's technically Ryan, call him one Ryan, right? And uh, he'll get your prayers, it'll be great. All right. So um, let's let's pop over to the Ford to the first edition. And we we started this meeting with with reading some of this. And and it's on page X I I I X triple I. <laughs> it's early. I'm like, how many eyes are there? Mornings are tough. All right. So it says we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and I don't know about you guys when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous I came with some misunderstandings some huge misunderstandings of what alcoholism was and I would come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I would hear things and I would I, I over time developed some misunderstandings about what Alcoholics Anonymous was and I had horror, like, I really did not understand what I needed to do. I didn't understand what was wrong with me. I didn't know what I needed to do. And I, I, you know, I thought maybe it was okay that I was just coming to meetings. And I don't know about you guys, but I would just go to meetings and I would slowly get sicker. I wouldn't get better. And so when it says we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100, and I, I want you to know just historically, it was, they were rounding up. It was more like 80. And when it says men and women, the and women was real optimistic and inclusive because there was like one at best. Yes. And uh, so just as we read that, know that that was hopeful and optimistic. And when we talk about how this is uh, like this is an experience based textbook, you know, we're talking about the experience of the first 80 members, but we call them the first 100. But one of the most amazing thing, things is that over time, that experience has grown. So when it talks about we are more than 100 men and women who have recovered, that was true then, but it's far more true now. See, the more of us that follow the precise directions taken out of this book, the more in this book it says, this is our experience. This is what we have experienced. We have recovered. That becomes our experience. And the more that we do this, the more that we take these actions, the more that we experience the true freedom that is on offer in Alcoholics Anonymous, the more this book becomes true. It's not just the first 100 or the first 80 said it. It becomes more and more our experience. 
And so it says recovered, and that is the hope, and that's what I'm after. I am after the state of recovered. Now, when I got here, I didn't know what recovered meant, and where I live in the world, there weren't many people that identified as recovered alcoholics. But to be recovered is to be in a place of neutrality, to have that mental obsession removed. And it says from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. We're going to go into that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body because that is what alcoholism is. And then it says to show other alcoholics precisely, precisely. Now, I'm a, I'm a wiggle room. I'm a loosey-goosey, the foundation meeting. But precisely, the book Alcoholics Anonymous gives me precise directions on how to get to that state of recovered. That's what I'm after. And I didn't even know it. And so that is the main purpose. So the main purpose of this whole book is to give a drunk like me precise directions on how I can get well and stay well and to live in that position of neutrality where the mental obsession is not on me and I'm free. And that's what I'm after. And one of the things I also want to point out when I go through the book with sponsees, I really talk about how there's a beautiful transition in this book. We emphasize the hopeless nature of alcoholism and we drill that home hopeless, hopeless, doomed, because that's fancy hopeless. Like if I was a supervillain, I'd be Dr. Doom. You know what I mean? Hopeless. And then we offer the hope. So I can see the hopeless and then I can see the recovered, hopeless than hope. And I need to be in that place of hopelessness to accept the hope that is on offer. At least that has been my experience. So again, my experience when I got here, I didn't know what alcoholism was. So let's pop over to page 44, because it's a good place to figure out what is the, what really is alcoholism. And we're on page 44, we agnostics. And I'm just going to like lead us in there with, with what some of my old ideas were, some of my preconceived notions. See, I got here young. And I and I would do and I would do this thing that you lovely, lovely, wonderful people would ever do. Uh, and I would judge the speaker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you guys wouldn't. You're delightful. But I would I would judge the speaker. And I what I would do is I I would listen with that critical ear. And I would hear somebody share, and I think, man, I'm way worse than that guy. This whole AA thing couldn't help me. And then I'd hear the very next person share. I'd be like, whoa not as bad as that dude you know what I mean you I don't fit I'm not as bad as you guys but what I was doing was I was comparing the consequences of alcoholism I was comparing the consequences and and that was really easy for me to separate myself but what I needed to understand was the diagnostic criteria of alcoholism and we see it on page 44 and again, I got here young. I showed up with a lot of andas. I showed up with a lot of yeah buts. I showed a lot. I showed up with a lot of yeah, but I'm different. I you know. But it was page forty four. It was page forty four that was absolutely as simple as it needed to be for this little drunk to punch through that denial, to punch through all my andas, to punch through all my yeah buts, and to crack me wide open for me to say I might be this thing. And then it flew, then it like just flowed and it came. So it says, page 44, in the preceding chapters, you've learned something of alcoholism. Goodness, I hope so. I mean, it was 44 pages plus the Roman numerals. I hope we pick something up about that, that that whole time, right? We hope we may have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. 
This is the distinction. When you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. Or, goodness, not even an and. Not even an and. Or, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. I want you to know I was an and, you know? And, and it hit me. That's it. Those two things. And it says, if that be the case, uh, uh, no, sorry. It says you are probably alcoholic. That's it. What is my experience with that? So when I've honestly wanted to, you know, those mornings when I came to, when we came to, right? When I honestly said, that is it. I am never going to drink again. I don't want to do this again. I'm done forever. And I meant it. And that's the kicker. I meant it. I meant it. When I honestly wanted to stay sober, did that have any lasting permanent effect? And my experience was that it didn't. A week, a month, there are times I could get a couple months in. A day, I'd be drinking again. When I honestly wanted to, I could not stay stopped. And that says, or, I'm an aunt, if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take. My experience is when I am drinking, control is not a thing that I have, right? Not even a little bit. And so what I'm looking at at the diagnostic criteria for alcoholism is do I have this mental obsession and do I have this physical allergy? And then it goes on to say, if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only, only a spiritual experience will conquer. And I, when I got here, I'm like, oh gosh, I, I really hope I don't have that. Because I, I don't really want a spiritual experience. I'm not super cool with the God word. I'm, I'm not here for this. That's weird, right? Like I came with these prejudices and these old ideas. And, and so I really need to, to understand what my problem was. And the reality of my problem as an alcoholic before I was able to accept the hope. And man, there is hope that is on offer. So Let's have a look at that physical allergy. Let's see what that is. Let's go over to the Roman numerals, doc. We're going to pop over to the doctor's opinion. Uh, XXVIII is Roman numeral 28. Um, I don't know if that helps. That only helps if you're really good at Roman numerals and not good at finding the page. That's, that's a very small section of helpfulness. And actually, that's the only Roman numeral one I'm probably going to be able to like switch it around for you. So that's... So one and done with my abilities. Anywho, so first full paragraph, we believe and so suggested that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is the manifestation of an allergy. That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never, never occurs in the average temperate drinker. And so you know, for me, I, I heard this idea that like, it's an allergy, right? That's what it talks about in the book. It's an allergy, you know? And I was like, oh, no. like I, I, I'm a little confused about that. I'm not sure about that, right? Because of course the old joke, like I don't break in hives, I break out in cuffs or, you know, I break out in spots, like here I am in a city I don't know, or break out in other people's beds, you know, like things like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm like, it's it's like, you know, I'm sure the strawberry milk alcohol, I don't, I don't break out in hives. What is this allergy? 
And so what was important for me to understand is, is really what I believe and what I've experienced that Dr. Silkworth is talking about is just an abnormal physical reaction. So as he says that the phenomenon of craving never, never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So there is something that happens to an alcoholic that never happens to a non-alcoholic. And so when I look at an allergy, I, any normal, like normal or typical or standard allergy, right? If I think about an allergy to peanuts, most people in the world can have peanuts, no problem. And, and the people that are allergic to peanuts are just a smaller proportion of the po population. That's why it's abnormal. It is not if you have a peanut allergy, you are full of moral weakness and generational sin and no backbone. No, no, goodness, no. Could you imagine if we peanut chain people? Not cool, guys. Uh, no, it is very simply that my body on a physical level would react to peanuts in a way that most people don't. And so what is that reaction that is allergic to alcoholics, that, that happens to alcoholics that does not happen to other people? And it is the phenomenon of craving. And so what happens to me that does not ever happen to non-alcoholics is I take a drink and I need more. And you know what would happen now? Peanut, I'm not. I can't use peanuts for this allergy analogy right now because peanuts is. If you're allergic to peanuts, it's a little one and done. You know what I mean? Uh, you don't got a lot of wiggle room. But like, let I'll use I'll use the good old strawberries. Let's say I have an allergy to strawberries. Now, if I have a little bit of strawberry, I'm gonna get a little bit of the rash and the hives. Right? Most people aren't gonna have a rash. Most people aren't gonna have hives. I do because I'm allergic. Now it only happens when I ingest those strawberries. Doesn't happen when I'm thinking about strawberries. Doesn't happen when I see that they're on sale. Doesn't happen if I'm hanging out, you know, with, with little ones and we're watching strawberry shortcake or playing dolls about that. Nothing, no, does not happen. Doesn't matter if you guys are eating strawberries on the Zoom screen, no rash, no hives. But if I have a little bit of strawberries, I'm gonna get a little bit of a rash. Now, if I have a whole bushel, which I feel like is the unit of strawberries, but don't quote me on that. If I have a whole bushel of strawberries, I am going to be like all hives all over. It's going to be bad. So the more that I ingest, the stronger the reaction. And when that was explained to me, it made sense. Because the more I drank, the, the thirstier I got. I was the type of alcoholic where I take a drink and that drink demands a second. And that second demands, it screams for a fourth. And that fourth insists that I take eight. Do you know what I mean? I'm the sort of alcoholic. I start drinking and it goes. I don't know where I'm going to stop. I don't know when I'm going to end up. But more often than not, I'm drinking into that place where I drink until I can't drink anymore. I, I, this is just my experience. I don't know if any of y'all have ever played bottom beer roulette. That's when everyone else, has uh, gone to bed because they don't have the allergy and you're going around drinking everybody's bottom beers and you're trying to avoid the one with the cigarette butts in it, bottom beer roulette. Now, all I'm saying is that that has proved to be at least a sign for me that I have the physical allergy because man, at the end of the night, when everyone else has gone to bed or they're 
coupling up to make poor life. To, no, it's not my place to judge their decisions, but you know what I mean? They're coupling up and off to make memories for the night. You know what I mean? I need that next drink far more than I needed that first. I can't control the amount that I take. And that is my experience. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is. It's fun and beer roulette. Yeah. And then really, also, if you're wondering, if you're wondering, a real sign, a real sign without, like, without any sort of uh, shadow of a doubt, if you have the allergy, is whether or not you found the one with the cigarette buds and kept going. Because if you did, there's no doubt. You're done. You're done. Right? And it, and it says these allergic types. So if you drank through the cigarette butts, I don't think I did, to be honest with you guys. I still think I'm a real alcoholic, but I don't think I drank through the butts. Anyway, these allergic types, back to XXV, I, 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 can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot, once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their, their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human. It's letting us know that I, it's, we're just starting to like give this glimmer that I am beyond human aid. And I can ask myself, is this my experience? It says their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Was that my experience? The consequences of the physical allergy started piling up on me. And my life seemed unrecognizable to me. At least that was my experience. Now let's pop over to triple X, XXX. Oh, Roman numeral 30. Yes. Oh, so good at turning letters into numbers. Twice. Not so good. I did it twice. That's all. <laughs> all right. Um, so Dr. Silkworth gives us these five different types of alcoholics. And then he tells us, why these five types don't really matter. <laughs> but it gives us these five types of alcoholics. And so we're at the paragraph right near the bottom. It says, all these and many others have one symptom in common. So this is one symptom that as an alcoholic, we all have in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates, differentiates these people and set the, sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So what I need is entire abstinence. But I don't know about you, that's kind of an issue. That's not uh, that's not a lemon squeezy sort of thing. Entire abstinence, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Now, I'm going to come back to that entire abstinence thing for a second, but um, we're going to bounce around a little bit. It could be a little loosey-goosey, because I want you to know, with my little alcoholic brain that did the thing where I would judge and be like, I'm not like you, I'm totally different, um, you know, no, I'm just like you. I would do this thing where I'm like, oh, you know, the allergy. I, there was this time in 03 where I had two drinks. Now, I just want you to know 
if we are remembering a time where we had two drinks or three drinks and we didn't wet our pants and, you know, like came home like a lady, you know, like all with the person we were supposed to or whatever. Um, and we remember that it's like, maybe, maybe just maybe I don't have this allergy. Well, I want you to know that non-alcoholics, if you ask a non-alcoholic, hey, can you remember a time when you went out and had maybe three drinks or six drinks and went home at nine or 10 or midnight, the time you said you would with the person you were supposed to and all of that, they'd be like, every, every time, every time. You know what I mean? That what I am remembering is the exception to the rule, right? And if I can remember a time and, and the, the date of that time where, man, no, I, I did it. I had control. If that number starts with a seven or an eight or a nine or a zero or even a one, you know, it's, it's a chance that it's been a long time away and we aren't there anymore. But if I wanted some big book answer, big book justification, let's pop over to page 21 real quick. It says, but what, so it's the first full paragraph. We're talking about the real deal alcoholic, the real deal alcoholic. It says, what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. Man, I have sponsees. Sometimes we talk about like, yeah, I think he might have been a moderate drinker at 10. You might have been a moderate 10-year-old drinker, you know. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose control, all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink is my experience today, that when I drink today, that the allergy takes off. And is my experience that every single time when I thought this time will be different, I thought nobody will ever know, I can get away with it and all those things. I thought I would have control and I never did. And those moments when I had control, I did not decide when they would be. And more often than not, nine times out of 10, if not a greater percentage of that for me, the allergy took me. And I could not control the amount that I took. And off I went. Right? Is that my experience? Now, what happened for me is, is drinking in that way came with those consequences, right? It came with those, uh, those problems that piled up on me. My life became one that was unrecognizable to me. See, drinking in that way, I crossed these lines in the sand. I did things that I didn't want to do. I hurt people in ways that I absolutely never wanted to hurt people. There were consequences. There were things that I did, that things that happened to me, and I didn't want to do it ever again. And again, going back, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. But that was my problem. I could not maintain entire abstinence. So let's pop over to page 24 for a second. So let's, let's start with what I like to call the, the squiggles. They're also known as italics if you're uh, just a normal person that uses normal language to describe things, but the squiggles, right? And actually one of the things I wanna point out, whenever we see squiggly writing in this book, of course it's important because italics is used for emphasis, right? Uh, but also I wanna point out that when the book was being written, uh, how, how it was done is you would have to physically go in 
and change the font within the, the printing mechanism. So if there was anything in italics, it costed it, it, uh, it cost extra money. And so I don't know about you, and I'm sure at this home group, there's never been any sort of disagreement or dissension, especially about things like money. Um, and those business meetings never would get heated. But keep in mind what we're talking about is the first 180-ish guys and the one gal uh, had to, it was so important that these alcoholics had to agree to spend money they didn't really have to make it italics. So again, if it's in the squiggles, some drunks agreed it was good enough to spend money on it. So it's important. All right. So it says the fact is that most alcoholics for reasons yet obscure, we don't know why and the why doesn't matter have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. And for what I need to understand is for me as an alcoholic, that time when I'm as sober as I am today and my alcoholism is untreated, I am without defense. And if I am at without defense against the first drink, I am without choice. And so I would come to meetings and I would hear people say, play the tape to the end. And I don't know if you caught it, but as an alcoholic, I am incapable. I cannot play the tape to the end. Now, this is a joke. Um... But when I try to play the tape to the end, how I end up is I imagine that I'm in this red evening, like it's it's sequin gown, right? Like I and I'm sitting on this, I'm sitting on this piano, right? And and there's a there's a, uh, a chandelier and a candelabra, and I've got a glass of some some fancy drink that I I've never like some top shelf like champagne or chardonnay. I'm a bottom shelf drunk, uh, but you know, and, I, and I've got, I've got one of those very long cigarette holders, you know, and I, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm playing the tape to the end, you guys, it's amazing. And what's the reality? What's the reality is I'm pissing my pants drunk behind a dumpster, smoking non-conference approved dry goods with the gentleman that I just met. You know what I mean? That is my reality. But when I try to play the tape to the end, no, no, it'll be wonderful. Also, if you're wondering, never in my life, not even in sobriety, do I think I would end up in a red, red evening gown, you know, like that's, I don't, I don't think I sequin. I don't think that's my vibe. Anywho. And so, there are times, there are times where I'm able to say, that's it, I don't want to drink. There are times where I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. But I do not have an effective mental defense. See, it's a little, it's a little like if I don't want to get hit by a truck. We got some truck drivers, so I'll let you guys know. I don't want to get hit by a truck. It doesn't matter if I am able to avoid getting hit by a truck eight out of nine times or nine out of 10 times, it's the time I get hit by the truck. I need a way in which I cannot get hit by the truck 100% of the time. Now I can play the tape to the end and I can, can think you lovely truck drivers who are driving around, I don't wanna get hit by you. I don't wanna be in your way. That seems like there would be some consequences. 
but I have a moment where I go insane and I think this time will be different and off I go, right? And so it says the almost certain, certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer. Do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, so if I get it, ooh, Paige, this doesn't seem like it's a good idea. They, if they are hazy and readily supplanted, that means replaced with the old threadbare idea. But this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on the hot stove. Now, if you want, if you're writing in your book and, and you want to listen to the Canadian, um, you don't have to. Uh, pay, make a little note to see page 84, because I'm probably a little all over the place and probably not doing great with time, but I promise we will go to page 84 today. I promise you that. Um, will we come back to 24 to pop over to 84? Probably not. Lucy Goosey on this one. Goose, flying high, no bad omens, but not necessarily super structured. Go. Uh, <laughs> and so that what we're talking about is that I, with this metaphor of the hot stove, see, alcohol hurts me far more than a hot stove ever would. The consequences of that physical allergy, but when I'm as sober as I am today and my alcoholism is untreated, I get a thought and I think this time will be different. I think, listen, I'm in Canada, it's chilly. I, I should just touch the hot stove for just a moment, get some warmth. I think my problem was the, the gas stove, but this stove is electric. I think if you went through what I went through, you would have to touch the hot stove too. You don't know how it's been for me. I'll touch it for only a moment. My problem is I was, you know, touching it with Canadians, but I bet if I come down to the, the States, I hit up New, New York State, I can touch it with some of the Americans. It'll be different, right? I cannot see the consequences. I cannot see the reality. And see, the, the problem is I have this allergy, but if that was all that I had, I, I just wouldn't drink. There would be no problem. My problem, the real problem, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. My main problem is that I have this thought that I believe that takes me back to the first drink and I am without the power of choice because I am without defense. Let's pop back over to XXVIII. Because this is what it looks like when I have the obsession and I have the allergy. When I put it together, this is my experience. And so we're at the very bottom paragraph when it says men and women. And feel free to cross out men and women, write alcoholics. Because I read men and women and I'm like, is this everybody? Is this normal people? No, this is only alcoholics who experience this. Men and women drink. Alcoholics drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. See, I don't know about you, but the effect that I'm after as an alcoholic is this. Oh, that's what I'm after. That ease, that comfort, that serenity. You know, when your shoulders fall and it feels like your skin fits and there's that warm glow. To misquote a part of our book, it's like a new world comes into view. I am okay. I have relief. I have release. See, that is what I'm drinking for. Also, randomly, turns out non-alcoholics don't experience that either. I don't know what happens to them. It's like, well, nothing. I don't know. Uh, they'll just have a drink and spend time with family. Uh, they'll have a drink and watch the sports. I don't like, I don't know. 
They don't get a solution for life. They don't get this new world that comes into view. They don't get relief. Their shoulders don't fall like it does for me. Now, it says the sensation is so elusive that, oh, elusive being just out of grasp, that while they admit it is injurious, see, I can tell you straight to your face, alcohol is hurting me. I can tell you straight to your face that I don't want to do it anymore, that it's causing problems in my life. And heck, I, I can tell you that I think alcohol is my problem. I've learned that it's not. But I can tell you that, man, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to do it anymore right? That it's hurting me. It's causing problems. It's destroying my family. It's destroying my loved ones. That I cannot, they cannot after time differentiate the true from the false. And that is that mental obsession. What is true for me as an alcoholic is when I drink, I cannot control the amount that I take. That physical allergy kicks off and off I go. And as a result of that, I tend to burn it down to the ground every single time. And what's false is that lie that I believe that tells me this time will be different. Nobody will ever know. I'll just go out for maybe three, three drinks, maybe six drinks. I'll go, out this, I'll go out this weekend, but I'll get it together on Monday. You know, I think my problem is I got to go on a real good bender and then I'll get a real good surrender and I'll be able to do this thing. See, it rhymes. It can't be wrong, right? I think I got to go get it out of my system and, and then I'll be able to, you know, do okay. I'll be able to straighten up and fly right, you know, or I think effort, effort. I don't care. I hate the way that I'm living. I, I wish I was dead effort. I need a drink, right? And the truth is the consequences from drinking make that even worse. And the reality is, go back to it like that is the mental obsession and that is the crux of my problem and it says to them their alcoholic life seems the only normal one this was all that I knew and it says they're restless irritable discontented and that was that was an important part part for me to understand because I thought I wasn't an alcoholic I thought it was my andas because I thought you guys would get sober and feel better. And I thought you guys would get sober and just love life. And you were like tracing around the tulips. You were frolicking. Um, and I was not frolicking. Frolicking was not what happened to me. So I would put down the alcohol. And I, and I want you to know that Dr. Silkworth, he is writing here. And so he's saying that alcoholic patients Hmm, they seem a little restless, irritable, discontent, which is a polite description of what's going on inside me, right? And it's one of those things, has anyone in your life ever said, stop drinking, you'll feel better? That happened to me and that was my experience. I stopped drinking, I felt better. I felt pain better. I felt depression better. I felt that loneliness better. I felt that hole in the depth of my soul felt like my skin didn't fit. It felt like I was a raw exposed nerve ending. And for some ungodly reason, the wind was blowing. I felt suicidal better. better. If you asked me how I was doing, I'd say, happy to be here. Happy to be sober. I'll take 24 and pass it on. You know, I was not okay. And that pain was fueling that insane thought that I had to take that first drink. And see, I am restless, irritable, discontented, unless I can again experience the 
sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. That's a normal jerks that I was talking about. You know, they go, they, those normal jerks that are like, honey, I'm going to go out for three drinks and I'll be home by nine. And you know what? They go out for three and they're home by nine and their pants are dry. And, you know, they have both their shoes and they're with the person they're supposed to be with. You know what I mean? I don't get it. Right? They drink and it does nothing to them. It does nothing for them. It doesn't take them any places. And they just have three and they're good. And it says after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do. And the phenomenon of craving that physical allergy, I start to drink and I need more. And the more that I drink, the more that I need to drink. That phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree. Spree sounds like way more fun than it actually is. No. And a spree is any length of time that I'm drinking. It can be weeks. It can be months. It can be years. It can be a single evening. We go through this spree and we, and we emerge remorseful. And that's that feeling that morning after. That I am such a piece of garbage and the biggest loser that ever existed. I hate myself and I don't fit and I don't belong. Can't believe I've done it again. And that leads me to firm resolution not to drink again. And that's that when I look at my life, that firm resolution, I want you to know when I made that firm resolution, every single time I made that firm resolution, I meant it. See, I thought I was maybe lying because I drank again, but no, every single time when I said, that's it, I do not want to do this again, in the depth of my soul, I meant it, but it had no power. And if I'm wondering whether or not I might be this thing, have I ever said, that's it, I'm never going to drink again and drank again? Because an alcoholic is one who knows that I cannot drink safely. I know that it's going to burn my life to the ground. And so I say I'm never going to drink again. But in sobriety, I get this thought that says, no, I can do it again. And I believe the lie and off I go. And so it says this is repeated over and over. See, I swear off. I say, that's it. I'm never going to drink again. And I'm left with me. And there's nothing that I can put between me and me. And I get this thought and I think that's it. You know, I can do it this time. And I take that drink and off I go and I burn it to the ground and I come and I'm sober. And I say, I'm never going to do this again. Then I get a thought and off I go, right? So repeat it over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. I am hopeless unless I have this spiritual awakening. I am hopeless unless I experience this. You know, and um, I'm realizing I'm doing terrible for time, but let's pop over to page 37. Because 37 really mirrors my step one experience. A step one experience was what I needed. So on page 37, it says, you may think this is an extreme case. We're talking about our homie, Jim. Jim, who is like, I have no intention of drinking, no thought of drinking. I'm not going to drink. Suddenly, glass of whiskey or a little bit of whiskey in my milk. Yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with that. And then we get grossed out. Ew, disgusting, but we forget things like white Russians and Kahlua exist. I don't know if anyone else had that experience. I'm like, ew, you put your whiskey in your milk? Gross. Anywho, um, judgmental is a defect of mine. If you hadn't caught that by now, just going to let you know. All right. Uh, you To us, so you may think this is an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched. For this kind of thinking, the mental obsession that took me back that suddenly, 
I don't even know what happened. How did I start drinking? That has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there was always that curious mental phenomenon, that mental obsession that ran parallel with our sound reasoning. There inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea went out. The next day, we could ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. And what my step one experience was is that I have two thoughts that are running in parallel. One thought is, oh, goodness, no, I don't want to drink. To drink it, to drink is to die. To drink is to ruin my life. To drink is, is to tear this thing to the ground. And that thought is running a race. And then on this side, I have this thought. And this thought is, this time will be different. Nobody will ever know. Epit, right? And they're running a race. And given enough time, if my alcoholism is untreated, the insane thought will always win. And so my step one experience was not, oh, step one, I'm never going to drink again. My step one experience was that a relapse was inevitable. I would drink again. And that relapse not only wasn't an inevitable, but it was imminent. It was going to happen way sooner than I thought it would. I would drink again and, and it's coming. That was my step one experience. Unless, unless I had that spiritual experience, that spiritual awakening, that entire psychic change. Unless I had what you guys had. And that's what I need. I need, I need the power of, of the power of God. The power of a God that I didn't understand. I didn't believe it. I wasn't super chance about when I got here, but I needed the power of God to come and stop the race. That's what I needed. I'm so sorry to bounce us back to XXIX. It's the page across from XXVIII. It says, on the other hand, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred. And by the way, Dr. Silkworth, he is going out on a bit of a limp. Saying, you know, like, hey, the solutions of spiritual awakening, the solutions of spiritual experience. I mean, he's going out of limb saying alcoholism is an illness. You know, he's saying it, it's not a moral thing. It's a all right well i'm back you know uh they say keep coming back uh our friend ross he always says stay and that is what i intend to do so my bad don't know how that happened um where i left off is xxix right uh on the other hand and i'll wrap up quickly because i think that's maybe the goose is maybe flying a little low it's an omen to wrap it up um the, the very same person, so on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who not, do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, hopeless, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The mental obsession has been removed. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. I, I don't like rules. They're just the 12 steps. What I need to do is I need to dive into these 12 steps taken out of this book as a way of life, like my life depends on it because it does. 
That is what I need to do to experience that spiritual awakening, to experience that psychic change, to experience that freedom from alcohol. And I just, I promised I'd go to 84, so I might as well go to 84. Let's go uh, to the very, very bottom of page 84, and we'll talk about those step 10 promises, because that is what I'm after, and that is what comes from a spiritual awakening. It's right below the line, love and tolerance of others is our code, and I love that, because it is even when we're driving, even with our family, even when there's technical problems and our speaker leaves, uh, ooh, love and tolerance of others is our code, and it says, and we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom, which means rarely be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. See, on page 24, I couldn't stop myself from touching the hot stove. But, but here, I can recoil. I see the stove is hot. It says we react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor we are afraid. That is our experience. Asterisk, small print, fine print. That is our experience so long as that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So my responsibility is to work these steps like my life depends on it, be at step 10, actively working step 10, and continuing to grow in fit spiritual condition. You know, and, and I think what I'll, I'll leave off on is uh, page 25. You know, it says there is a solution. There is. And it says almost none of us like this is good news and bad news. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. It's good news and bad news. The good news is that it means it does not, it does not matter how I feel about the steps. It does not matter what I think about the steps. It doesn't matter if I think they'll work or not. It does not matter if I think I am worthy of them. What matters is that I do them. And that is the bad news. And I'll just pop down to the next paragraph. It says, the great fact is just this, just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. Hey, page 44 said I needed one of those. Said I needed those. We have. And not just we as in the first 100 members. We, all of us, all of us who've done this work and had this experience. And so I'll leave it there and I apologize for the technical difficulties. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be of service.